want you to take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew, first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 4. We began last week talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is at hand and the upside down kingdom. All right, today we want to talk about the kingdom of God again. And I want you to look with me in scripture. Uh, We're going to look in Matthew chapter 4. This is where... Jesus, who was born of a virgin, miraculous birth for 30 years. Nobody knew who he was. He worked with his father in a little furniture shop. All of a sudden, he was baptized by his cousin, John. The Spirit of God came down on him and he ministered and he revealed the kingdom of God for three years. This is the first thing he said, Matthew chapter 4. When he began to preach, Matthew 4, verse 17 says this, from that time, Jesus began to preach. And I want you to, and this, he didn't just say this at this moment. This was his entire message. And this is what Jesus preached throughout his life. What did he preach? Repent. What does repent mean? To change the way you think. I want you to change the way you think about life and the way you think about me. Change the way you think. What was his message? The kingdom of God is at hand. At hand means Available. You can touch it. You can reach out and take it. So what what did Jesus preach about? He preached about something called the kingdom of God. And his announcement was, it's available to you. you. You could reach out and take it with your hand. Jesus didn't preach near as much about what you should do, like don't smoke, don't cuss. Jesus said there's something available to you, and it's called the kingdom of God. And if you follow through scriptures, the primary theme of his ministry was helping people understand and bringing people into the kingdom of God, whatever you want to call that. Here's our definition. And I have to say it again. I have to say it every time. We're not talking about religion. We're not talking about religious activity or church activity. I'm not saying that's bad. That's not the kingdom of God because most church activity is people doing good things and we should do that, but that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, by definition, I gave you this last week, but here it is again. It is the activity of God in the earth by his spirit. The kingdom of God is not what people do for God. It's what God does for people. It's when God's working in the earth. And was that not the ministry of Jesus? If you look at the ministry of Jesus all through his time, uh, when, when say like a crippled man is crippled and Jesus heals that crippled man, that crippled man didn't do something for God. God did something for him. When he fed those 5,000, that wasn't people doing things for God. That was God doing things for people. And Jesus demonstrated God is wanting to get involved with your life and do good things. And that's what his his announcement was, God's available to you. It's at hand. Now, was it just available to them or is it available to us? This isn't hard, is it? The Bible's a book where God speaks to us. The kingdom is at hand today. It's still there. And remember, it's the activity of God. Now, last week, we put the kingdom of God activity, what he does for people, we put it in about five categories and we broke it down into about five. And these are not concrete, but I want to review them again because I want you to get this in your heart. I want you to know this is available. Number one, we talked about kingdom resources. He will supply your needs. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. That's Philippians 4.19. And God will move supernaturally to meet your needs. Now we need to get up and go to work. We need to be wise with what we do, but God will provide. He ultimately is our ultimate source. And that's part of the kingdom is that fathers provide. When I pray for our missionaries around the world that are struggling right now because of the virus, struggling to even get something to eat, I know he will provide for them. Because the Bible said, if any man, listen to what God said, if a man does not provide for his own children, and it's talking about financially, feed them. He is worse than an infidel. God is my father. 
and he's not going to be worse than an infidel. He's the best father there is and he will provide. That's kingdom resources. Number two, kingdom security. We talked about uh, the protection that he puts around us. Psalm 23, 4, I'll walk through the valley of the shadow of death without fear. I'll have no fear because you are with me. And that's not just physical. He will give his angels charge over me to guard me in all my ways and circle my home with them. That's spirit. The spirit of God will surround me and my family so that the demonic activity that is destroying young people today will not get to mine. That's kingdom protection or kingdom security, if you want to call it. Number three, kingdom inner life. And we looked at that great verse where it describes the kingdom of God, Romans 14, 17, that says this, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not your outward stuff. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is when the spirit of God comes to me and comes inside of me and make thing, makes things right in my heart. He gets the anger out, the hatred out, the bitterness out, the uncertainty out. And what does he leave behind? Righteousness, peace. I'm not afraid. I'm not nervous. I'm not upset. I'm not worried. And he brings the joy of God into my life. You can't enjoy your life until the Holy Spirit brings God's joy into it. So inner life is when the Spirit of God just comes on the inside, just makes it wonderful. Number four, we looked at is kingdom relationships or let's call it kingdom culture. Let me just say something here. My spirit is so grieved by the way we treat each other in this nation. By the way, the way we treat each other and our relationship levels has gone so down since I was a boy. Now I was a young boy. Uh, Mr. Lincoln was in the White House a long time ago. And I was a young boy. We didn't talk to each other like this. We didn't stab each other in the back like that. People have always been goofed up, but it wasn't like this. Well, I don't like the way our culture treats people. I don't think people like it. I hear people talking all the time. I'm just going to move out in the woods, live by myself. The animals aren't much nicer. Let me tell you what kingdom culture is. It's when God gets in your relationships. Say so he, he comes into your family and people begin to treat each other kingdom way. The Spirit comes in there and people begin to do what the Bible says, be ye kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, honoring one another, respect, these are all scriptures, respecting one another, caring for one another, bearing one another's burdens. Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Well, the, when the kingdom comes in my family or my church circle or my friendship circle, that means God makes it the tight place the way we treat each other. We just love to be there. He changes the way people treat each other. That's the kingdom come. And then last of all, number five was divine fellowship. I was created to know God, not know about him. I was created to be touched by God. I was created to have his spirit touch me so that he, let me say it this way. I was born so that God could be real to me on this earth. And we were separated by sin. But when the kingdom comes, God becomes real to me. I hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I become aware of his presence. The sweet presence of, listen, the longing of every human heart is the sweet presence of God. And it's when God becomes real to you. Um, he fills heaven and earth, but a lot of people don't have a clue as to where he's at. Let me explain why. Matthew chapter 11 says this. I thank you, Father, that you have hidden yourself from the wise and the prudent, but you have shown yourself to the humble. God reveals himself to people and he wants to reveal himself to you. 
He wants to be near you. Draw close to God, he'll draw close to you. It's when you become aware of the great, wonderful presence of God. So that's, if those things happened in your life, guess what you could say? The kingdom has come. The kingdom's coming in my life. God's doing things. It's wonderful. I would call that according to John chapter 10, verse 10, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. When God becomes real to you and you have his presence on the inside and you live in peace and joy and things are right and your friendships and your relationships are just so much fun to be around and he's meeting all your needs and you're protected, that's called abundant life. That's thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Just a quick review there so you know what the kingdom is. So if you say, amen, great. Hit me, preacher, so it'll happen. What what do I have to do to have that happen? Dear ones, the Bible gives one key. One. There's not three keys to this. One key. Turn the page, probably, to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus tells us, what do I have to do to have all that happen in my life? I've got good news before we read this. I want to make an announcement that just blows the slats out of religion. You don't have to be a perfect person to have God do things for you. Guess why? Thank God and who'd qualify? You don't even have to be a good person. God did tremendous things for the church in the book of Acts. They were more goofed up than most of you are. It was on toward the end of the book of Acts. He's still trying to get the leaders to not be prejudiced toward each other. You don't have to be perfect. God do great things for. The key is found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, one verse, where the Bible says this, but you, when you pray... Go into your room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, Matthew 6, 6. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you what? Publicly or openly. Tell me where God is, according to that verse. He's in a secret place waiting on you to come see Him. He is in the secret place. The Bible tells me you go to a quiet place. It doesn't have to be a literal closet. It's any place you can get alone with God. You go to a quiet place and you talk to God and you pray. And when you go to that place and pray, people will see him do things for you publicly. And you'll see him act publicly. The kingdom rises and falls on one thing, prayer. It just rises and falls on prayer. That's the whole nine yards of everything that causes him to move in our lives. And, uh, and then Jesus goes on in his great kindness to say, and I, I don't want this to offend you, but let, let's be like new wineskins and let's learn something. Jesus goes on to say, and I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, I've told you that if you want God to do things for you, you have to go somewhere and pray to him. I'll even tell you how to pray when you get there. I'll even tell you how to talk to him. And that's why he said in verse nine, look at me in verse nine, in this manner or this pattern, therefore pray. I want to ask you a question. Where'd you learn how to pray? Most of us learned how to pray by listening to somebody else pray. And most of us pray the way we heard somebody pray in our churches or the way we heard our mama pray. And I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm just saying this. You say, well, you telling me there's a right and wrong way to pray. Read it again. Matthew 6, 9, pray this way. If Jesus said, pray like this or in this manner pray, I need to say, let me make an adjustment to the way I pray. This passage is in the Bible in two places, Matthew 6, Luke 11. And the other one, the scripture says this, and the disciples came to Jesus and said, you teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, so he said, when you pray, say this. 
I don't know how Jesus can make it any clearer. When you pray, say this. Y'all get it? He told us exactly how to do it. Now, a lot of people call this the Lord's Prayer. It is not. The Lord's Prayer is John 17, where he prayed for us and others. This is the model prayer or the pattern for prayer. And can you see that this prayer is blessed by God? I mean, if he tells me to do something, he's obligated himself. And he told me, pray like this. Let me tell you something about this prayer right here. Two things. Number one, those five things we mentioned in the kingdom, are they not all in this prayer? Meet, you know, provide for my needs, daily bread. Protect me, surround my family, deliver from the evil one. Personal relationships, we forgive each other. Let me tell you something about this prayer. Every need of every person is packed in that small prayer. In, I don't, in the wisdom of God, somehow he took every human need that everybody would ever have and it's covered in that short, you can say it in less than a minute. In that short prayer is every need every person will ever have through all the ages. This is the most, uh, that we need a revelation that that's it right there. This is why God works in the earth because people say what he told them to say. They do what he told them to do and they go in their closet and, and they pray. Now, <clears throat> I want to make an announcement. See if you understand this. You have to pray for God to do anything. If you don't pray, he won't do anything. I want you to look at me in James chapter four. Let's see that. In James chapter four, I don't care how much he wants to do for you and he does. If I don't pray, nothing happens. Wouldn't it be tragic to have everything you ever longed for and he's ready to give it to you and we never had it because we didn't pray? All right, look at me in James chapter four. We're going to look at two parts of a verse here. James chapter four, verse two says this. Let's get through the first part. You lust, you do not have, you murder and covet, you cannot obtain, you fight and war. Watch these words. You do not have because you do not ask. Tell me why I don't have the kingdom in my life. Somebody see it? Because I'm not praying. If I don't pray, he can't work. Now, let me say this to you about praying the quote correct way or I really don't mean to offend the way anybody prays, but there's a right way to pray. It's the way Jesus told us to. Look at the first part of verse three. You ask or you pray, the verse, verse three says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. Now we don't use the word amiss in our culture. What do we say? You ask wrong. Can you see in that, that part of the verse that I have to pray a certain way and if I don't pray, no matter what he wants to do for me, it's not gonna happen. I have to pray for him to work in my family, work in my heart, work in my church, work around me. This is the simple prayer. It's just that, uh, it's that simple. I want you to turn back with me to Matthew chapter six again. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter six. Now, what he told me is go into your closet or to a quiet place. You can go in your car, you can go anywhere, as long as you can get alone. And I want you to talk to God in private. And if you will do this, do you understand how God has obligated himself to you? Do you understand he's put himself out on a limb here? He told you in verse six, you meet me in private, people will see me do things for you in public. Listen to me, dear ones. The man will do what he said he would do. You can trust his word. And then he went on to say, and let me help you. Let me help you know how to pray. And then he said this, when you pray, verse nine, let's read it. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we don't use the word hallowed. Don't, it just means I praise you. Father, I want to praise you and thank you. Dear ones, the heart of prayer is worship. To praise and thank God. And then what do you tell us to pray? I want you to read that next part with me. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Where? On the earth. Read the next part. The way it's being done in heaven. Can I ask you a question? You think anybody's fighting and bickering in heaven? I maybe think they're fighting and bickering at each other's throats in heaven. That doesn't happen there. What do you tell me to say? Make it in my home like it is in heaven. Where nobody's fighting and bickering. Do you think people are hungry in heaven? What do y'all think? Make it in my home like it is in heaven. You think people are depressed in heaven? Sad, worried about what's going on? Make it in my home like it is in heaven. Whatever y'all are doing in heaven, do that in my house. Do that in my heart. Do that in my church. I can't pray this over my nation. I don't have authority over this nation. I have authority over this life and my home. And I have authority over this church. I pray for y'all's finances every day. I pray that your jobs be secure. I pray that you make wise decisions. And I, you can only pray over your sphere of authority with him. Well, my sphere of authority is my life and my home. That's why I can't say as for me and my nation. We will, I can say as for me and my house. I can pray over my home because that is under my authority. And I can pray over this church because I'm a part of it. And that being the pastor, I have authority over it. So he tells us to pray. And then if you, as you look at that prayer that we pray daily bread, get the garbage out of my heart, forgive me, get my relationships right. I, nobody owes me a dime. I'm not going to have a hard heart toward anybody. Deliver me from the one who wants to destroy and steal your kingdom built by your power, ultimately for your glory. That simple prayer meets every need in my life, but I've got to pray it. What if I don't pray that prayer? You, you have not because you ask not. All right, now let's, I want to answer a question that people struggle with. If he's so big and he's so good, why can't he just do it? How many of you think he's big enough to do it if he wanted to? There's two reasons God will not move in my life unless I pray, according to Scripture. It's very simple. <clears throat> Number one, he always honors free will. God honors, he gave us a free will. I think it's one of the most dangerous things he ever did was give us a free will. The only reason there's a mess on this earth is because we're allowed to make decisions. In heaven, you don't get to make decisions. Everybody does what he wants. He rules in heaven. But he created us with a free will and we have the right to love God or hate God. We have the right to obey him or disobey him. We have free will and he's going to honor your free will because he respects human will. Listen to what the Bible said. I'm going to quote that great verse out of Deuteronomy. I set before you today life and death. Death has been set before you. Choose life that it may be well with you and your children. So he gives me a choice in everything. And we all, even that old country song, living and dying by the choices I made. And he will not run over my free will. All right, let me ask you a question. How many people does God want to go to heaven? Does anybody know? Somebody said all. How do you know that? This is a test. How do you know that? So, well, I just think. I just think, don't cut it. You've got to show me in scripture. All right, 2 Timothy. God desires all to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. He wants to rescue every person. Every single person. Why is he not going to do it? 
If he wants to do it, why is he not going to do it? Why does the Bible teach most people will not be saved? In Matthew chapter 7, broad is the road that leads to destruction and many are there who will go in thereat. Narrow is the road that leads to life. Few will go in. Can I ask you a question? If he would crucify his son for you to have eternal life, why would you go to hell? What's the answer? Here it is, Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You have to ask him. If you don't ask him to save you, he can't do it. Because he gave you a free will and you get to choose life or death. Do you understand how God stands at my will? And he waits for me to let him do things for me. He's not beholden to me. He fills heaven and earth. But he gave me a free will. And if I don't want him to do good things for me, he won't do it. And the way I move my will, open my will, is through prayer. You have to ask. I want you to listen to the scripture. What's, what's keeping God from doing great things in the earth? Romans 3.20, I'm excuse me, Revelation 3.20, listen to this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man, what? Who's in control? If any man opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and do things for him. What is it that keeps God from doing things in my life? I am not opening the door. And you know, we're not talking about a literal door. The door of my life is my will. And I open that will by praying and saying, I believe your kingdom to come. I believe you to do things inside of me. I believe you to come into this family. You have to, you have to invite God in. In every situation, you say, well, do I, do I like pray this the day after I meet him? All right, I want you to look back and you know this. You don't have to look it up. How often do we have to pray? There's a hint in that prayer where it said, give us this day our daily. I can't pray this prayer once forever. This becomes my daily pattern of prayer. Uh, all through the Bible, matter of fact, if Jesus is my model, what did Jesus do every day of his life? Mark 1.35, Jesus rose early in the morning, departed to a quiet place, and there he prayed. He started his day with prayer every day. And this becomes the pattern of prayer in our lives. All right, and now let me teach you something here. There's another power working in the earth. I mean, read the newspaper. There's another power working in the earth. And that power came, he's in this earth to steal, kill, and destroy. Any place you see stealing and destruction and death, guess who's behind that? That's not God. That's the other one. Let me, make you, let me teach you something about this. He does not respect your will. He does not honor your free will. He couldn't care less what you think. You have never, have you ever had to pray and ask Satan to come in and tear your family up? You ever had to pray and ask him to make you miserable and depressed and lonely, which is what he does? Have you ever had to pray and ask him to come steal your job or steal your finances through medical bills? You don't have to ask him to do anything. He's coming whether you pray or not because he has no respect for your free will. Now, I want you to let me teach you that from Scripture. Turn with me to John chapter 10. And let's see that in Scripture in John chapter 10. You, you need this foundation in your life. If you'll understand John 10 right here, you'll understand why things happen the way they do. And you'll also understand why things don't happen. Now, John chapter 10 is that great passage where Jesus talks about people. He talks about a great uh, power called the shepherd. He talks about a wolf. And you know wolf and sheep is not good. You know what wolves do to sheep. 
and he describes it. And Jesus teaches, and the Bible teaches, there are only two powers operating in the earth, two. There's not nine gods, 14 ways. There are two powers operating in this earth, dictating men's lives and operating in people's homes. They're found in, and the key verse is John 10, 10 that says this, the thief comes to do what? What do, what do thieves do? They steal. They come to steal, kill and destroy. Jesus said, but I am come. What does Jesus do when he's involved? I've come that they might have life and have it what? This shouldn't be hard, dear ones. When you see abundant life, guess who's in, guess who's in charge? When you see stealing, killing, and destruction, who's behind it? We've got to settle this thing. When you, quit looking at the faces. Look at the powers behind what's going on. When you see destruction, that ain't Jesus. When you see happiness and peace and humility and harmony and health and provision, God's in town. The John 10, 10 settles it. But you, you've got to understand something. You have to pray for one. You don't have to pray for the other. That's explained in verse one. Look with me in verse one. The Bible said this, most assuredly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. How does the thief get in? Does he knock on the door and ask permission? No, no, he didn't come through the door of your will. What does, he, what does it say? He breaks in. He, he barges into your life without your permission. You know, if my father, uh, tell me what the thief does. He steals. My father lives in Charlotte. He said, I'm, I'm going to give you. So he gives me a, a gift, a, a nice handgun. And I use that for, because that's the number one thing thieves like to steal is a handgun. So my daddy gives me a nice handgun. And I got it in my house and I love it. And if a thief breaks in your house, what's the first thing they're going to look for? Guns, because they're the easiest thing to get, up, get rid of on the black market. So he steals my handgun. My father gave me that. He came and stole it. Tell me what the thief does. He steals. I have three children. Guess where I got them from? Psalm 127, behold, children are a gift from the Lord. God gave me those kids. The Bible said, God said, my, my kids are my gift. Guess what my thief, guess what the thief wants to do? He wants to steal my children and destroy them. God gave me my health. Guess what the thief wants to do? Steal it and kill me. God blessed me financially. He has blessed me financially. Guess what the thief would do if he had half a chance? He'd steal everything I've got financially. God has put gladness in their hearts more than in the season when their new wine and oil increases. God makes me happy on the inside. Guess what the thief wants to do with the joy of the Lord in me? Steal it and leave a trail of misery behind. He is a thief who steals what God gives you and you don't have to ask him to do it. Read verse two with me. The Bible says this, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens. What's the only way Jesus can come into your life? You have to bring him in. You have to, he will stand outside of your life and wait till you bring him in. Can you see it clearly? How do we do that? Prayer is the way you bring him into your life. You have to ask God, bring your kingdom in this home. Let, let your will be, I've seen your will for my life. It is good. Bring it down to the earth. Bring it in my house. Bring it in my home. Bring it in our community, the, the circle that we have here. There was a thief steals. You need to get this down deep in your heart. Your father honors free will. He will not run over your will to do something for you. You have to ask him. You have to give him permission through prayer to come into your life because he respects free will. And the second thing you need to know about prayer is this. Our God is a God of faith and he honors faith. 
And there's no greater act you'll ever commit of faith than to pray and believe he's going to do something for you. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. All right, know these two things. The reason I have to pray is, number one, he respects my free will. Number two, he's a God of faith. I'll turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want you to see something here. In Hebrews 11, I don't know if you know what Hebrews 11 is. It's God's hall of fame. You know, we have one in Canton, Ohio, Cooperstown, New York for baseball. Hebrews 11 is God's hall of fame. It's where everybody that he used greatly, not everybody, it's where most of the people he used greatly are listed. And it's just like walking through a hall of fame, person after person. And all these people did tremendous things or he did tremendous things through them. But there's one key element. I want you to see if you can pick it up. We're going to read a little bit in Hebrews 11. See if you see a pattern in what we're fixing to read. Hebrews 11, verse 4, by faith, Abel. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. Verse 9, by faith, Sarah. Um, Verse 17, by faith, Abraham again. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph. Verse 23, by faith, Moses. Are those not the Hall of Fame guys? Do you see a common element with each one of them? Somebody see if you can get it. By faith. Everything God does in somebody's life is by faith. He's a faith God who requires faith on our part. Please listen to me. I don't care how good your behavior is. I don't care if you're the most perfect person. He doesn't respond to perfect behavior. He responds to faith. As a young minister, this used to trouble me because I would see people in my church that they were the best people. They lived perfect lives as far as I knew. They were the hardest workers, but God never did much for them. And then I'd see other people, they weren't near as good in their behavior and there were undeniable things happening in their lives by the hand of God. Because I'd been raised, the better you are, the better God will be to you. Go back. I want you to sometime go read that chapter again. See if it says, by not cussing Moses, by not cussing Abraham, by not cussing Sarah, by not smoking Joseph, by faith. It's faith that moves the hand of God in people's lives. And there's no greater expression of faith than our prayer life. All right, let's look at it. One more. Turn me to Mark chapter 11. And I want us to see that this is where Jesus defines faith. All right, Mark chapter 11. Do you remember Jesus walked around doing what? Bringing the kingdom down to the earth. How many of you think Jesus did things that I could do without God? Is that a dumb question or what? How many of you think I could heal a crippled man without God? Open blind eyes without God. Feed thousands without God. Bring hope to troubled souls without God. That ain't gonna happen. Friend, let, let me make an announcement. You have to have God. You have to have God for things to work well. And Jesus demonstrated the kingdom. In Mark chapter 11, Jesus prayed and something happened. And they were all so shocked that something happened. They were just stunned and said, look what God did. You prayed and God did something. Matter of fact, let's read that. It's in verse 21. Peter remembering said to him, Rabbi, Jesus, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Jesus prayed that something would happen and it happened. He prayed and God did something. All right. And so Jesus, instead of explaining it, he turns to Simon and he turns to me and you in verse 22. And he says this, Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. That did not mean believe God exists. The devil believes that. What he said was, you start doing it. 
I want you to start praying and see God do something in the earth. You got it? Jesus prayed. God worked. He did something in the earth, which is called the kingdom came. And then they were so shocked that God would answer his prayer. Jesus said, now I want y'all to start doing it. I want y'all to start praying in faith and I want you to see God do things in the earth. Now here's the question, big question. Is that just for Simon? Is that for me and you? If that's just for Simon, what are we doing here? Let's go play golf or let's go fishing or let's give up. Then was the Bible is God speaking to you. And when Jesus turned to Simon and said, you start doing it, just as surely as you read that, God's going to point to you and say, you start doing it. I want you to start praying and see things happen. And then he defined it in verse 24 where he said this. Here's what faith is. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, can you see how prayer and faith are tied together? When Jesus said, have faith, he said in verse 24, pray. Whatever you ask when you pray, believe you receive them. Watch these words. You will have them. He said, Brother Brian, what do you think that means? Listen to me. Don't complicate what Jesus said. The man just put himself on a limb and he did it for you. You can pray and expect God to do things. What will happen if you'll pray and expect it to happen? What did it say? It'll happen. It'll happen. I've heard sermons that long, read books that thick. Why it doesn't mean what it says, throw it in the garbage and believe what the man says. What did Jesus tell you to do in verse 22? Have faith in God. How did he define it? Start praying, expecting God to do things and see if he doesn't do them. Listen to me. God doesn't play games with me. He means what he says. He's that good. And he's told me and you, pray and you'll see me do something. Prayer is the expression of faith, according to Jesus. He said, well, Brother Brian, I, I don't have that kind of faith. Well, let's get it. That, that's no problem. Might take a little bit, but let's get it. Somebody tell me where faith comes from. Grunting? Trying to feel something? Faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of God. That's Romans 10, 17. You need to know that. If I don't have this kind of faith yet, all I got to do is hear God and I'll have it. That's all I have to do. Let me explain to you something about this. If my son, uh, whom I love dearly, if he's a little boy and he gets uh, sick and he needs an operation to live and I don't have the money, I'm not going to call Bill Gates. You know why I'm not going to call Bill? So you don't think he's got the money? Bill's got the money. I know Bill's got the money. I don't know Bill. He, he probably don't care whether I live or die. He's not going to help me. But I would call Johnny Biggers in Charlotte and I'd tell him, I need money for my son to have operation. Let me tell you what I know. I know he'd give it to me. Now listen, Bill's got more money than Johnny. But Johnny's my father. I know he loves me. I know what he's like. I know, listen, he'll give it to me. You know what that's called? Faith. You know where it came from? I, got, I know him. I got to know him personally. Listen to me. As you spend time in this word and you get to know God personally, your faith will grow to the point to where you say, he'll give it to me. Faith, grow, faith comes by hearing God speak to you. Faith comes by letting this word get down in your heart to where you know <clears throat> God will do this for me. God's going to help this family. God's going to help me get rid of this junk. God's going, his hand's going to be on me. That kind of faith comes and then you pray and it's so easy to believe him as you get to know him. You, you can't, uh, you really can't have faith in somebody beyond how well you know them. This, this is simple. All right, let me wrap by saying this. The kingdom is tied to prayer alone. Prayer is the only thing that brings the kingdom. 
You can't preach the kingdom down. You can't beg it down. You can't earn it. You, it only comes by prayer. Everything we need comes through prayer. I want you to listen to what Jesus said about that. And I want you to think about this and look at this sometime. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said this in that great passage about how he'd help people. He said, behold, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Who's got the keys? Somebody tell me who's got the keys. Jesus said in Matthew 16, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth, I will bind from heaven. Whatever you release or loose on earth, I will release from heaven. Jesus Christ has the power to bind hell off my children or to stop hell's activity in my family. When's he going to do it? When I do it from earth. When I go in that closet and close my door, I praise you and thank you and bless you that you surround my family and you've given your angels charge over my family and no evil shall befall me nor shall any plague come near my dwelling. I just bound them on earth. Guess what he's going to do from heaven? Don't touch that family. Whatever you bind on earth. Who's waiting on who? We're waiting on God to do something. He's out in a secret place waiting on you. All right. Father, in the name of Jesus over my church, I believe you to loose your spirit, to bless the people, to turn their hearts toward you, turn the children's hearts toward the fathers, the hearts of the fathers toward their children, build great families. I believe you to do that. I went in that closet and I turned it loose in that closet. Guess what he does from heaven? If you'll bind it on earth, he'll bind it from heaven. We've got to get back to prayer. I'm going to say it again. Why do we not see kingdom much? Why don't we see God working much? You have not because you, it all goes back to prayer, dear ones. Everything goes back to prayer. I want to give you something I think will help you. I believe there's a very active evil spirit working in the earth today. I believe it's what's behind going on in the nation. I believe it's what's going on. As I drove early this morning, left church, I went by house after house and my heart just ached where I live because I know the people. That house is broken. They're divorced. That house is in trouble. That house is suffering. That ain't God. That's an unholy thief who's stealing what God gave people. And he's active in the earth. Now, let me tell you, so I believe there's an active thief. <clears throat> and I just want to propose something here for you. If I were the enemy of men's souls and wanted to destroy them, I'd steal one thing. Since I'm a thief, I'd steal one thing from them. Guess what I'd steal? Prayer. I'd steal prayer from them. I promise you, the enemy of our souls, he knows this book. He knows truth. He knows how God operates. And he knows if you want to destroy him, keep him from praying. And may I propose five things from Scripture that he'll use. Number one, blindness. I'd keep them blinded to how important it is to pray. I'd get them focused on preaching, trying not to cuss, whatever. But I'd, I'd keep how important it is to pray from them. <clears throat> Number two, are you ready? Busyness. I'd get them so busy. I would build a culture in their nation where everybody is so busy and competing to see who can be the busiest and proud of how busy we are. Ask people, how you doing? I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. Like the badge of busyness. Let me make an announcement. Busyness is insanity. I know that's not American. I'm not interested in American having it our way anymore. I want thy kingdom to come, which is only through prayer. A fellow after first service sent me a text and he said, did you know that busy was an acronym? B-U-S-Y stands for being under Satan's yoke. That's what busy is right there. Hey, that's what I thought. 
don't get so busy. Bill Hybels wrote a great book one time called Too Busy Not to Pray. Charles Stanley, I'm listening to Charles Stanley talk one time to a group of preachers a while back and he was talking about how we put so much emphasis on everything and he said, let me ask you a personal question. He said, what do you do in your day that's more important than praying to the God who made you? And I thought, amen. That's pretty good for Charles. Number three, doubt. I would attack their minds and tell them, hey, God's not listening. He don't hear you. This stuff doesn't work. You remember what happened to so-and-so? They're the best people you ever met. They prayed nothing happened. I would attack their minds that God doesn't tell the truth. I'm going to make an announcement. He tells the truth. Number four, <clears throat> I'd come down on them with condemnation. When they tried to pray, I'd get right on their heads and say, do you really think the way you acted, God's going to hear your prayer? Do you really think you deserve for him to do this for you? Once in a while, I'll, make, I'll just stop and say, Father, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. <clears throat> Let me tell you something. If you'll stick around to then, you'll find out I'm not praying in the name of Brian. I'm praying in the name of Jesus. And everything I'm asking, I don't, this is tacky, but I'm going to say it. I'm charging it to his account, not mine. Every prayer I make is based on the shed blood of Jesus and what he did at the cross. Jesus became a curse for me who knew no sin <clears throat> so that the blessing of God could come upon me in Christ Jesus. You can remind me, of my, you keep reminding me of my past. We fix to start talking about your future. Do not let that garbage condemnation keep you from coming boldly to the throne of grace that you might receive grace and mercy to help in time of need. I'd keep them so condemned they couldn't raise their heads and pray. And then one more, self-confidence. I'd convince them they can handle it. I know how to raise these kids. I know how to make money. I can handle that woman. Good luck. Why don't you replace that self-confidence with I need thee every hour? Most gracious Lord. We really do need his help. And it's about, listen, I need all the help I can get. But let me make an announcement from scripture. I can get all the help I need. I know exactly what to do. My grandma's day understood this. We've gotten away from this. We need to go back to saying things like what a friend we have in Jesus. All our needs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what grief we often suffer. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Got to get back to prayer since it is the primary deal. I'm going to quit by giving you a revelation again. Not quit again. I'm done. All right, I got saved as a young man. I was, I was really messed up. I was a great sinner. I was just, I was bad. And it was very dramatic, uh, like sort of like a Saul of Tarsus conversion. God met me at the lake, Car Lake one night, and I was powerfully saved. I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I was saved, and I was delivered from the demonic the same night I was saved. Just, I was just a whole different person. I got into a group of people. I went to church, and uh, they didn't, never taught me about prayer. They didn't, they didn't, prayer wasn't much. They never taught me about the Holy Spirit. They weren't interested in Him either. It was a lot of emphasis on, you got to do this. You have to quit cussing. They, they were very strict. They didn't allow mu rock, any kind of music except Christian music, no rock music. Had to keep your hair cut. Uh, women couldn't wear jewelry. Uh, it, was just, it was all about behavior modification. But I was committed because God had saved me and I was good. To, I'm going to be the hardest worker out there. 
Yeah, I'm that type A anyway. I'm going to be the hardest worker. So I worked hard. And they, it was all about this is what you've got to do to make God happy. And the, the, the unspoken demonic atmosphere was you don't do all this stuff. He's going to be mad at you. I want to make an announcement. God is not mad at you. He can't be. He poured his wrath out on his son. He pours his grace out on us. And, and I did the best I could. Then I became a preacher. And man, I'm going to do this for God. And, lot, and the, back then, the emphasis was on preaching. You had to really preach. Which, which, that, that meant you whipped them up emotionally every Sunday. Got them screaming and hollering. I mean, their kids are still on drugs. They hate each other. They're in a mess, but at least we had a big time. <laughs> but that was church for us back then. And I worked hard. I walked. I'd walk up through neighborhoods all day, every day, just knocking on doors, getting people to come to church. Yeah, yeah, I worked hard. But I didn't pray. Oh, I, I prayed. You know, like when church started, we'd holler. We'd beller. It was like God's a long way away. We'd beller. Oh, God, we'd pray. I was just doing what I'd heard other people do. After a few years of preaching like that, I began to think, we're missing something here. I'm missing something here. Because, you know, I've always loved to read the Bible. And I'd read things in the Bible and I'd say that what we got and what they had ain't the same thing. This ain't lining up. And um, so I began to, particularly the book of Acts. I began to read the book of Acts. You know what I saw, which is the picture of the church. I began to see in the book of Acts, it wasn't about what the people did. The book of Acts was what God did. The book of Acts, by the way, is improperly titled. The correct title is the, the Acts of the Apostles. Well, the titles are not, uh, they're not anointed, just the text. They're not the acts of the apostles. They are the acts of God through the apostles. And I saw God working in there and I kept seeing something all through the book of Acts. The people only did one thing. Tell me the only thing they did in the book of Acts, they prayed. They would pray and it said when they had prayed, God would do things. And I began to realize it's It's prayer. It's not about how loud you can preach or how good you can preach or how many of them people you can get to come and give. or how. It's not about that. Everything in the Bible points back to prayer to see God do things. And I said, we had, we had to change something. I said, okay, I'm on prayer. About that time, Larry Lee broke loose with his prayer movement in the nation. And it was titled, Could You Not Tarry One Hour? He got that from where Jesus told Simon, praying in the garden. You couldn't pray for an hour with me here? And he said, you got to pray. Now let me make an announcement. It's not how long you pray. Y'all hear that? Don't let him get in your head and say you got to pray longer. I don't see in Matthew 6 or Luke 11 where Jesus said, when you pray, say this and do it for an hour. That's not in there. He just said, say it. And I said, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that because everything, I'm going to do it. We're going to do it. So I remember the first day, a little, little office there, my little church. And I, I got on my knees because you got to pray on your knees. And I remember turning the clock where I could see it, a little desktop clock there. And I started, and I started praying. And, and I didn't even know what to say. The only thing I knew was be with them. Ask God to be with people. He feels heaven and earth. Where else can he be? Be with them. But we, I just said, be, I, I, be, I be with everybody I knew. I, I blessed the old ladies, the young ladies, the WMU. I, I blessed the dog. I prayed everything I knew to pray. Looked up seven minutes. Said I will never. La I'm serious. I'll never last for an hour. How, how do you? Should I go through and do it again? That'd be 14 minutes. <laughs> We're talking about seven times through this thing here, and I just thought that something's wrong. And then I heard people like Bertha Smith talk about praying all night, and I thought, God have mercy. 
Nobody ever taught me what the Bible says in Ephesians. Take the word of God praying with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. I didn't know how to pray with the spirit. I didn't know how to wait on him. And I began to cry. I said the same thing the apostle said, teach me how to pray. And the Lord began to teach me how to pray using this prayer as a pattern. And before I began to transition and make this house a house of prayer, I preached up a storm. I worked hard. I think my first church in three years, I saw six converts. I just didn't see God do anything. He wasn't doing anything in me. If it was me, it was me. I was doing the best I could. And, and I'm glad you weren't there to see it. Because you come out of the background, I did that ain't much. And I didn't see God do much. But let me tell you, well, let me tell you the passage where God taught me something. In Matthew 21, don't look it up. I don't know if you remember this. One day Jesus went to church. Do you remember when he cleansed the temple and he threw the preachers out and made a mess, kicked their tables over? And he showed me in that passage right there, he said, Jesus went into the church. It wasn't about selling records in the lobby. God have mercy. He went in there and he threw all the preachers and their religious system out of that temple. He threw the religion out. Then what did he stand in there and say? It is written, my house should be called a house of preaching. Does anybody know if that's right? That is not right. My house should be called a house of self-effort. My house should be known as a house of prayer. What's the next thing that happened? When he threw the religion out, turned it into a house of prayer, that's when the broken came and God healed them and changed their lives. What's the next thing that happened? That's when those great praise celebrations broke out and it became a house of praise. And he told me, if you'll throw your religion away, Make it a house of purity. Get the religion out. Get the religious nonsense out of you. Make yourself a house of prayer. Learn to pray and live to pray. I'll release my power and you'll see people's lives healed and it'll become a house of praise and worship. Well, I began to learn how and I began to practice it. And since that time, I've seen miracles happen. I've seen God do tremendous things. I've seen many people saved. I've seen marriages healed. I've seen things that... I don't even know. I didn't have nothing to do with it. It just happened because I was there. You know why? I wasn't orchestrating it. I just get up every morning, go into my closet and stay in there and pray. And my father rewards me publicly. Let me just, can I throw out a weird one? Can I throw out one of the craziest ones? I see these all the time. I met a lady not long ago and I said, uh, she come to our church. I said, how'd you come to our church? She said, well, I live in the Southern part of the County. And she said, uh, me and my husband never had children. She's a little bit younger than I am, never had children. And she said, uh, he's a wonderful man. He died suddenly, had a heart attack. And she said, we loved each other so much. We had the best life. We were looking forward to retirement one day and said, he just fell over dead. And she said, my world was so devastated because he was my world. And she said, we were good people. We just never, never knew anything about God. We never went to church, nothing. Never even been to church. And she said, for the next little while, I was so, I didn't want to live anymore because I'd lost my everything. You know, she didn't have Jesus, didn't have children. He was it. And she said, I was so miserable and so depressed. She said, one night, she said, I just fell down beside my bed and I looked up and I said, if there's a God out there, you have got to help me. Well, what a great prayer to pray. And she said, the moment I said that, she said, this has never happened before. She said, in my mind, in gold letters, I saw a name, Brian Biggers. She said, I reached over and wrote it down on a pad on the nightstand. And she said, I got up and Googled it and found out you were a preacher just 10 miles from my house. 
She said, I came the next Sunday. She said, I've met Jesus. My life has been completely changed. She said, I still miss my husband, but I know God personally now. Who orchestrated that? You see, I, I didn't go see her and say, you need to come to my church. I went into my closet that morning and prayed, help people, help people. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in this community, in my life, my home, my church, this area. Thy will be done. Dear ones, if you work, you see what people can do. If you become a house of prayer, you see what God can do. And, and believe it or not, let me throw in one more, just quick. This will be quick. He's even working in me. I'm getting better and better all the time. I didn't say perfect. I'm getting better and better all the time. You see, we're just getting old. You're getting soft with age. No, I, I think I'd have got worse with age, probably. This is the goodness of God. <clears throat> I want you to do something. I want you to take that prayer. And I want you to say, teach me how to pray. And I want you to begin to pray it. Start right where you're at. Listen to me. It's not a contest to get it right. God is for you. He gave you that as an avenue to bridge heaven and to touch him. And you begin to pray that prayer over your life, your family every day and say, just, just teach me how to do this. Then when you got the Holy Spirit inside of you, he'll lead you into all truth. He's your teacher. And you begin to pray that prayer and watch what happens as you begin to see God work in your life. You maybe think we could use God in the land and in our homes. I thank God we're getting to the place where it's beyond what humans can help with. It's a good place to find him. Lord Jesus, we love you and praise you and thank you so much. You sacrificed your life in great pain on a cross. I cannot believe you wouldn't pay our power bill. You sacrificed your life and suffered for us. I can't believe you wouldn't help our children and help us. I thank you that the kingdom is at hand. I praise you today. The kingdom is at hand. It's available. And we bring it down to the earth through prayer. I give you all the praise and glory. I pray for every person listening and here today. I pray in Jesus' name, prick their hearts and encourage them. Let faith rise up in their hearts by hearing your word today. God will help me. When I pray, he will help me. And he's shown me how to do it now. And I'm going to pray this prayer. I praise you and thank you for your goodness and grace. Thank you for your great kindness. We give you all the praise and glory in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.